We have been going through uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism has three sections following the outline of the Book of Romans. And um, we are in the middle section dealing with deliverance from sin and misery through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have come to the section of the Catechism which deals with the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The sacraments are in the section dealing with deliverance because they themselves are pictures of the gospel. And uh, they teach us about uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are looking, having looked at baptism, we're looking at the Lord's Supper. And I want to focus particularly on question 77, uh, am I right there, 76, uh, today. Um, no, wrong. Question 77, my mistake. But let's read all the questions in this Lord's Day. Question 75, how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way... Notice particularly, I'm going to be referencing this in the course of the sermon, but notice in the question it says that it's intended to assure us, all right? So the sacraments are means by which God the Holy Spirit, in the hearts of those who believe, have faith, assures us. And so the answers are, as surely, so surely, all right? Uh, question 76, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means... Very good. We're going to uh, forego question 77. It's pretty much the wording of the institution of the Lord's Supper in the Gospel according to Matthew. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I somewhat apologize beforehand uh, for reading a long portion of Scripture, um, but um, it is really necessary um, to understand uh, this passage. We're going to be looking at various verses in it. Um, as an explanation of what we read in the Catechism in question and answer 76. So,
I'll give this back to you afterwards. Should have done that before. My bad. All right, let's read the Word of God beginning in verse 22 of John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, that, uh, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there and his, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tray, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread who came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died." 
Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. All right. You need two things this morning for this sermon. You need your thinking cap, all right? And you need an explanation of this text. This is a strange, potentially confusing portion of Scripture, and it's been a source of major interpretive controversy. I've chosen it for that specific reason to discuss the Lord's Supper. For the Lord's Supper itself, as I've mentioned previously, has also been the source of much much controversy. There are some in the Christian world who have said the Lord's Supper is merely a memorial, something that Christ commanded his disciples to do to remember that he sacrificed himself for sinners. It is that, but it is not only that. There are others uh, in the Christian world who believe that the Lord's Supper actually is the physical body and blood of Jesus. And they believe that by eating it, you are actually saved. All right? Both of these views, however, are wrong. They represent opposite extremes of the spectrum of understanding the Lord's Supper. Interestingly enough, both of them fail to accurately reflect the Bible because they both fail to adequately take account of this text. All right? Memorialists fail to account for the spiritual significance that Jesus is speaking of here. Sacramentalists, on the other hand, overemphasize the importance of what is taught here to the detriment of the teaching of other passages of the Bible. The reform position, as usual, is neither or, it's both and, it's right in the middle. It doesn't fall into either extreme because it listens to all of the scripture but doesn't go beyond the scripture. So, Three things. First, the spirituality of the message. Secondly, the focus of the message. And thirdly, the true meaning of the message. First of all, the spirituality. Look at the text, verse 26 and verse 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, the bread they were seeking, but food that endures to eternal life. Him. He's the bread, right? All right? So Jesus just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and uh, two fishes. You can find that in verse 9. The time of the year, significantly, we're told in verse 4, is the Passover. All right? Now, why is that important? Because the Passover was the historical focus of the Jews' political dreams. It was when they recognized that they were freed by the Lord from bondage and slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh, all right? And it was a time of intense nationalist fervor at the time of Jesus. The Jews expected a revolutionary political Messiah. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. When the people, remember it's Passover, saw the sign, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, all right? Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what's the expectation of the Jewish people? A revolutionary political Messiah who is going to bring them political liberation, all right? They thought... Uh, This is the Passover they've been waiting for. And yet Jesus is reluctant. And why? Verse 27, which we read, tells us there are two kinds of bread that Jesus is talking about. There's physical bread, which feeds your body, 
and there is spiritual bread which feeds your soul. Jesus rebukes them for completely missing the spiritual significance of what happened here. Jesus didn't just see numbers of hungry bodies incapable of providing for themselves materially, but he saw numbers of human beings searching in vain for something to satisfy them spiritually. He saw a vacuum in their hearts. He saw not empty stomachs, but empty souls. His miracle, the food, uh, fishes, loaves and fishes, was a symbol, a pointer, a sign of his willingness to meet a much deeper spiritual need. The food that Jesus has offered is like the kingdom he came to establish. It's not material, it's spiritual. Jesus' concern then is to meet the spiritual needs of the people he's addressing here. So the spirituality of the message The focus of the message. So look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am, one of the many I am sayings in John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, if you pay close attention, and you can look this, uh, look, scrutinize this more closely later, Jesus is very egocentric in this passage. Verses 35 through 40, all right, 17 times Jesus mentions I, me, my. I, me, my. He's very egocentric. What's the point? Jesus came with the spiritual message to meet spiritual needs. And Jesus is here pointing to himself as the only one who can meet those needs. No amount of physical bread or material goods will meet the insatiable spiritual hunger of the human soul. Augustine was absolutely right when he said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. And the extraordinary thing is Jesus didn't claim to feel that longing for spiritual satisfaction. He claimed to meet it. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst and shall never hunger. Jesus says it's not something you need, it's someone that you need, him. He says, I'm not just the giver, I'm the gift. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life for the world. Verse 32, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's not the giver. He's the gift given by the Father. Jesus claims to be the bread of life. And look at a couple of other verses significantly. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. And verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. You see, Scripture here, clarifies the confusion if we pay close attention to it, all right? Very important to remember these figures of speech or these uh, allusions, allusion, A-L-L, that Jesus is making here because the Bible often speaks literally, all right, and this is a very important thing to remember. The Bible is true, the Bible is literally true, but it's not always true literally. Did you catch that? Or you, you're not awake yet? The Bible is literally true, but it's not always true literally. That is, everything that is in it, all right, is the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God, right? It's true, but it's not always literally 
true. So when Jesus says he's the bread, it's like he's the door. It's not like he has a doorknob here, right? He's not talking literally. He's using allusions or figures of speech, all right? So we have a little bit of confusion here. What is the mean meaning? What's the true meaning of the text? Well, look with me, if you will. The question, which has caused so much interpretive controversy regarding John chapter 6, is simply, is this a reference to the Lord's Supper? Right? Is this a reference to the Lord's Supper? Cut to the chase. No, it isn't. All right? Three things. One, the Lord's Supper is still a year away. Okay? So it hasn't even happened yet. The reference here, as we've noticed a couple of times in reading the text, is to the manna and to Passover. All right? It's not to the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is a fulfillment of the Passover, right? Jesus ate the last uh, Passover in the first supper with his disciples, all right? But that's not the reference here. Secondly, to eat flesh, to eat human flesh and drink human blood would have been abominable to a Jew, all right? If you know your Bible, you know that in Leviticus chapter 16, in talking about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, it says the life of a creature is in the blood, all right? And that's why today Jews keep kosher laws. Meat has to be butchered in a clean way so that there's no blood in the meat when you eat it, all right? Cleanliness laws, kosher laws, all right? To eat blood and flesh of a human being would have been cannibalism to a Jew. It would have been an abomination. So that's not what Jesus is talking about here, all right? Thirdly, look at verse 53. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of uh, the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. If this is a reference to the Lord's Supper, then participating in the Lord's Supper is essential to being saved. Right? You get it? Right? Jesus says, You have no life in you if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, if that's the Lord's Supper and you don't partake of the Lord's Supper, you have no life in you. It's essential to salvation. And yet we know from the thief on the cross and many others that didn't participate um, in the Lord's Supper that it's not essential to salvation. All right? Okay. So, is this a reference to the Lord's Supper? No, it isn't for those reasons. Okay? So, what does it mean? Uh Three clues, okay? One, look at verse 63. It is the Spirit, notice uppercase S, Holy Spirit, is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus here is giving us an inspired interpretive clue to the whole passage, right? That he's speaking not literally, but symbolically or spiritually, if you will. That we are not intended to take what he's saying literally, but to understand it symbolically or literally. And of course, the Lord's Supper is symbolical. It informs our understanding without dominating it. The Lord's Supper represents spiritual truths that are taught here, a spiritual reality. All right? Second clue, verse 51. If you're a good student of the gospel according to John, you'll recognize the phrase in verse 51, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
In John, that phrase, for the life of the world, is a reference to the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, where he gives his life for the life of the world, all right? Jesus, then, is looking forward not to the institution of the Lord's Supper, but he's looking forward to his death on Calvary. He can give us life only by giving up his life. And the eternal life he's speaking of to satisfy souls is only a result of his death on the cross of Calvary. Third clue, verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now catch this, all right? Catch this. Look at verse 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Look at verse 47. Whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Which is it? Is it believe or feed? You should know me well enough now. The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. All right. What's the point? The point is, Jesus is, when he speaks of eating and drinking his body and blood, <clears throat> it's parallel to looking to him and believing in him. All right. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood is a symbol of believing in him and obtaining eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have eaten him and confirmed that. Look at verse 29, just uh, to... This is the work of God, that you eat my flesh and drink my blood. No, that you believe, that you believe in him whom he sent. Or verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you see the point that Jesus is making? He's speaking spiritually, not literally. And what's he doing? He's saying, when you believe in me, you are eating my flesh and drinking my blood. When you are eating my flesh and drinking my blood, not literally, but symbolically, in the Lord's Supper, you're believing in me, all right? Jesus is not speaking of literal eating of flesh, but of spiritual participation in himself. Believers are united to him by faith in his death on their behalf. Look at verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, significant words here, abides in me and I in him. Faith is an adhesive that incorporates us organically to Jesus. His death becomes yours and his life becomes yours. So what's the true meaning as we've looked at this? Jesus is referring to his atoning death on the cross and challenges us to enter the closest and most intimate relationship with him. Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and those who believe in him truly live now and forever because they are united to him by faith. We become part of his body. That's why I emphasize, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper last week, this is a koinonia, a fellowship, a participation in Christ. Which is why 
in the history of the church, the reformers particularly, wanted to confirm, affirm, and validate that we are feeding on Jesus Christ, not literal flesh and blood, but by participation in him. We're united to him by faith. A couple of points in conclusion. It may take going back over what I've just outlined here and reviewing it, and I would certainly encourage you to do that, all right? Be a good Berean. But this shows the deficiency of a, of a memorialist position, all right? Those who say the Lord's Supper is simply remembering what Jesus did. Now, it is a memorial. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We don't want to neglect that, dismiss it, overlook it. But it is not only that, as we learn from this text. We're not simply remembering what Jesus did. No, there's something spiritual going on. Notice the uppercase spirit. And as I've mentioned to you as we've gone through this section of the catechism, the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who celebrate with faith is working in us, uniting us to Christ, assuring us, strengthening us, nourishing us, much more than just remembering as an intellectual exercise. A memorialist position has no richness to it spiritually. It's like if I had a photo of Julie on the side of my bed and every night I kissed the photo instead of turning over and kissing my wife in flesh, right? Yeah, all right, photo's good, right? I like photos of my wife. But it's no substitute for the real, ain't nothing like the real thing, baby, <laughs> right? So, yeah, no. A memorialist position is deficient. It's spiritually deficient. Secondly, it curbs the excesses of literal sacramentalist position, which look at John 6 and say, no, this is saying transubstantiation, right? Is that somehow by the hocus-pocus of the priest, the uh, bread and wine become actual flesh and blood, and unless you participate in the sacramental system, you can't be saved. No, it curbs those excesses, because it teaches us that that's not what Jesus' intention is here at all. And it demonstrates, of course, the beauty of a Reformed biblical position reflected in the Heidelberg Catechism. What does it mean to eat the Lord's Supper? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ, and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And it means more. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body, he abides in me and I in him, Jesus said. And so although he is in heaven, we're on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Once again, as should happen in every generation, we don't just accept the Heidelberg Catechism because the guys that wrote it, Olivianus and uh, Ursinus, were geniuses, theological genius. We, we accept it because it's a faithful reflection of the Bible. And every generation has to prove that afresh and anew. And thankfully, hundreds of years have proven the testimony faithful and true. So, as we conclude this morning, so what? Well, I ask you a couple of questions. Do you believe? Do you believe? 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ came down from heaven not to give us bread that perishes? Missionaries who were in China will talk, tell you about rice Christians. Did you ever hear that term? Maybe Jen Basile, when she was in Russia, heard something similar. Rice Christians, missionaries will tell you, people that come only for what they get. They come to get rice. They come to get fed like the Jews came to get bread. But they don't come for spiritual nourishment. They don't come for the gospel. They don't come for forgiveness of sins. They don't come for the promise of eternal life. Don't be like that. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus Christ? And in believing him that you have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Satisfaction for the deepest needs of the soul are found only in Jesus Christ. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. Faith is essential to salvation. <clears throat> and there's no life for anyone who doesn't believe, who doesn't eat and drink of Jesus, who doesn't participate in Jesus. And thirdly, assurance. Assurance. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when you see a baptism uh, being performed, whether it's an infant or adult baptism, <clears throat> we hear the promises of the gospel and we are reminded that salvation is not by virtue of anything that I have done or anything that I am in and of myself. Salvation is only and always because of what God has done in and by Jesus Christ. And we are assured by that. We can look at baptism and and hear the promises of God. We can look at the Lord's Supper and be reminded, as surely as, so surely, God has forgiven all my sins and granted me eternal life. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the sacraments that you've given us. We pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom to know is eternal life. And we ask that you would uh, hear and heed our cry, for we ask it in his name. Amen and amen.